0: How to dream, cowboys! It's the HBO Boys. We are starting our recap and review of his dark materials, starting with season two, episode one, entitled The City of Magpies, written by Jack Thorne, just like everything in season one, and directed by Jamie Childs, which is a cute name. I'm Jamie, and this is Ryan.
1: Oh, Jamie. Your mother calls you (laughs) Jamie. (laughs) My entire childhood, I just heard your mother calling you Jamie and you being like, it's James. How dare you? I'm Ryan. I'm the guy who said, howdy dream cowboys, why I said it, generally nebulous. I've explained it exactly this way in another podcast where we cover the first season of His Dark Materials in two parts. You can go listen to that. It is on the channel as well. And as you said, this was directed by Jamie Childs, who is a season one director. He's directed Doctor Who episodes. He's also a producer on His Dark Materials and written by creator Jack Thorne, who wrote by himself all of season one. But that will change soon because the writer's room grew drastically for season two. You can tell HBO has made a specific decision to have large, diverse writer rooms for all of their shows now, and in the future, we will see the names of the people that were hired, but for right now, Jack Thorne wrote the first episode of season two, The City of Magpies. Magpies being a bird. I don't know why that's what its name is. I'm sure this would have been a better podcast if I did.
0: Uh, I, I, uh, if you're new to the show, um, uh, Ryan and I record this on opposite sides of the world, and That's I live true. in Seoul, South Korea, where we have a lot of magpies. The Asian magpie huh. in Korean it's called agachi, which is a, a hilariously cute name.
1: That's a better name. Overall better name. I think they would be a more popular bird if we went with that. It's the second half of Tamagotchi. Mm-hmm. Is that purposeful?
0: I bet. Yeah, I bet they, they named it after that. Sick, dude. So if you're new to the show, you're joining us for His Dark material Season 2. Hey, welcome aboard. Here's the deal. We're going to recap the episode scene by scene. So hopefully you're into that. Uh, And and if if you don't like to hear recap scene by scene, please do not flame us in the Apple Podcast reviews.
1: You can't just say that, James. (laughs) Because if I heard that and I was listening to this, I'd be like, oh, perfect. I'm going to spend the next 40 minutes taking diligent notes about how Ryan and James suck and join the rest of the world on their Apple Podcast reviews, letting everyone know that they're dumb, dumb idiot boys. But who cares? We like TV. TV likes us. TV is my dad, and we're going to talk about His Dark Materials Season 2 no matter what, because, you know, that's what we're here to do. Also, by the way, Season 1 covered the first book in the trilogy of books, written by Philip Pullman, first published in 1995, the first book being Northern Lights, the second season covering the second book, The Subtle Knife.
0: And we are about to get into our recap of episode one. Before we do, guys, we have a Patreon. It's HBO Boys on Patreon for dollar a month to get bonus content. Lots of different crazy stuff going on there. Check it out.
1: Patreon.com slash HBO Boys, boys with a Z. And you can chat live with Ryan
0: and I on Discord. And Ryan will shut your name out at the end of the show. You've never said anything more true. So episode one picks off right where season one left off, where like Lyra's going through the magic rainbow portal. And she ends up at the city in the sky, which we saw at the very beginning of season one. This is the world that Azrael saw through his magic dust camera.
1: The world in the Aurora Borealis, which is a thinner veil between worlds that we can see from Lyra's world and the city that Lyra goes to on the rainbow road that Lord Asriel created by murdering her best friend is called Chittagazi and she is met there by the Adam to her Eve in Will who we got the backstory for in season one but in the books he doesn't even show up until book two so we have a head start on this bro
0: also with her Lyra has the magical golden compass from the smash hit film golden compass the original yeah uh, uh adaptation yeah, starring of material, golden compass which n- not a hit actually a big bomb but in this it's called an ethiometer but i call it the golden compass because it's easier to say and that was my only background knowledge of the show and i'm clinging to it desperately
1: and as an example that it's easier to say it's called an althiometer not an God ethiometer. <laughs> yeah you got it wrong t- right at the beginning so just i think keep going with golden compass i think that's think that's the way to go.
0: So like Ryan said, she's searching the abandoned city. There's nobody there. She comes across Will, but initially she does not trust him because he does not have a demon, which in Lyra's world is the physical manifestation of your soul which appears as some kind of charming animal that can talk and is always with you.
1: Lyra's demon, which by the way, for the season one, I kept calling them daemons because there's an A in the word Mm -hmm. and the world has been like, hey, the A is silent. And I was like, when are A's silent? But anyway, Lyra and her demon, Pan, who is a little white ferret guy. He is the cutest. A lot of the time, by the way, your demon is the opposite gender that you are. That's what has tracked through the series so far. And one of the major season one critiques by the book readers was that there were not enough demons on screen at any Mm -hmm. given time, which I could understand from a filmmaking standpoint and just like a budgetary standpoint. They're CGI. They are puppets first and then CGI. So like, you know, you have to do an extra shot for the puppet and then an extra shot for the CGI and it just costs more money yes but it's obvious from the first episode of the second season that they were like oh yeah you uh, didn't have enough demons on screen how about if they're on screen 100 percent of the time shut up
0: right it's also like no one no one hugged or pet or looked at ghost in season seven of game of thrones and then everyone yep. complained
1: exactly and then john goes and he boops the snoot and everyone's still like pshaw So, whatever. Lyra and Pan sleep together. They're hugging. Everybody be cool.
0: While this is happening in that world, back in Lyra's main world, on a magisterium ship, the priests are all arguing about the giant portal in the sky that Asriel opened and what it is and what it means. You know, the more realistic clergy are trying to explain it in in the terms of what it actually is. But the cardinal, this old fat bald guy, is like, no, it's heresy. Stop. Stop. Saying things that are true. Right.
1: His view on the subject is there cannot be a portal to another world. Other worlds don't exist. And the rest of the room is like, yeah, but here's the thing. They totally do just kind of like look outside. You like straight up haven't gone outside. And if you had gone outside, like we did, you could just like see the other world and the door to it. So you're like you can't just keep covering your eyes and screaming you have to accept reality at which point miss Coltier, who had been there the entire time is like okie dokie bros if we'd like to stop the pissing contest i would like to start being productive
0: she gets them to agree to let her go torture katya the witch from season one who they captured at the end of season one is that right is it the same witch different witch
1: she's a witch And she's been captured. And Miss Coltay is going to go torture her. Those are all the things I
0: know. And then she kisses the Cardinal's ring, like, very, uh, either, like, sensually or erotically. Mm. He looks like uh, he's really into it.
1: Yeah. So... This is a room full of dudes who I don't know what their rule base is in the Magisterium for. If you're a cardinal or if you're a priest, and if it's the same as Catholicism or Christianity, I don't know if they're prude boys, mm-hmm. but uh, this scene would suggest it.
0: Ryan, aren't you a lapsed Catholic? Yeah,
1: James, aren't and... you a lapsed Jew?
0: <laughs> yeah. So I don't know about I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't know about dusts and portals. I think that seems. Based on this show, something more uh, in your uh, religious heritage. Dust? Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I'm just going by what what I've seen in the show. I'm sure that this correlates one-to-one with Catholicism.
1: I mean... (laughs) The Magisterium claims that dust is like one to one with original sin, but that I think is the feeling on the subject by everyone like the Cardinal closing their eyes and screaming like he's not going outside. And, (laughs) you know, like that's just everyone on earth other than them are just like, I mean, I think it's consciousness slash the physical manifestation of your soul, but you know, whatever you think, dude. But, I also, in this moment, thought in the movie, Miss Coutier is played by Nicole Kidman, right? Mm-hmm. And I think this scene would have made a bit more sense if it was Nicole Kidman. Huh. Because I felt like this was a very Handmaid's Tale moment. Like, mm-hmm. And it's not exactly. But in Handmaid's Tale, there's this like really forced plot line that Elizabeth Moss is hot. And if you're watching it, and if you're me, you're like, ah, okay, I mean... She's a Hollywood actress, right? She's generally attractive, as are anyone, basically, on screen in any of these shows. But, like, she's not Nicole Kidman. And Ruth Wilson, generally attractive. Hollywood actress. In many a show. But the whole room being like, oh, we will do whatever you want, you sex demon. I was like, all right, that seems a bit much.
0: Yeah, so if you're listening to this New Line Cinema, what Ryan's saying is you should make a competing Subtle Knife movie and release it the same year as his Dark Material season two. With the same actors from the first movie that bombed back in 2007.
1: Yes, that's exactly what I'm trying to get across to you. But also, they're never going to do that the ratings for season two of his dark materials it's a bummer to get it into this so early in the podcast but they were down in both britain and america out of everything that aired on monday night monday Mm -hmm. night by the way they put this up against monday night football yeah why but it was the 106th most watched piece of entertainment on monday night which is i don't know if you know this bad
0: there's also a c plot going on where uh, lee scoresby played by alexander hamilton himself mm-hmm. is on his hot air balloon with his rabbit demon and they are searching for the witches who know about other worlds because he thinks that they can give him a lead on how he can help lyra lee
1: scoresby's demon his name is hester she is a hare and she is delightful. And Lee Scoresby, played by Lin-Manuel Miranda, a.k.a. Alexander Hamilton, is good, question mm-hmm. mark. Hey,
0: your accent is sometimes and not other times. The thing is, like, his his voice is so distinct that, like, he always just sounds like Lin-Manuel Miranda to me. To the point where, like, I was watching old clips of House And I did not remember this at all, but he's like in an episode, he's in a two-parter of House as just like a random guy and i heard mm-hmm. him like i wasn't even watching actively i just heard him speak a lot and i was like that's fucking hamilton that's hamilton when he was in
1: this is not a hamilton podcast but when he was doing those episodes with hugh laurie he told hugh laurie that he was writing a song about right america leaving england during the american revolution as like a relationship-esque song and hugh mm-hmm. laurie said to him with a finger in his nose you'll be back and that's how we named that goddamn no song way. his dark materials
0: <laughs> Well, that's the C plot, and it's the shortest, so let's just go through it. So he ends up, like, just happening on a bunch of witches who bring him to, like, their big witch meeting. And he tells them that he wants to find Grumman, the missing explorer from season one, who may also be Will's dad.
1: He eventually will be played by Andrew Scott, who I know as Moriarty in the Sherlock series, plus the priest in Fleabag plus a national goddamn treasure. And I can't wait for him to be around, but he's not here yet. Lee Scoresby, as you mentioned, is in a witch meeting. The witches have multiple clans. So this is a meeting of said clans. And this is the scene also where I was like, okay, so they're putting every demon on screen. a 1000000 They're doing it all. Okay, so the demons are even going to talk to each other. There's going to be a main part of this scene where just two demons are hashing it out. Perfect. And we talked about it a bit for season one and it will become more clear as this episode goes on. But I think the witches are one, one of the more interesting parts of the entire show Mm -hmm. and two, one of the more troubling parts of the entire show because of power creep. And because of plot armor,
0: I was going to say that I don't have a good sense of like how powerful they are. I would think from what happens later in this episode that, you know, five or six witches could destroy the entire magisterium. But I guess there's reasons why that isn't true. Right.
1: There has to be because (laughs) the vibe I get from how powerful the witches have been so far, you know, flying at light speed and stabbing people is like... If you guys just hadn't made, like, a concerted effort, this would be a really short TV show.
0: (laughs) The queen hosting this witch's meeting gives Alexander Hamilton this magic item, which she says that he can call on her for protection when he needs it in his quest to go find Grumman. And this was very much like, you know, Galadriel giving that, that magic light to Frodo. Then... Another witch queen shows up. As Ryan mentioned, there are multiple clans or whatever. So this is a meeting of of clans and queens. And this queen's like, "Hey, one of the witches, Katya, got captured by the magisterium. We should go declare war upon the magisterium, basically to go and save her." And all the other witches are like, "No, it's too dangerous." And also there's a parallel conversation where the demons are like also hashing this out. And she can't get anybody to go with her, and so she goes on her own to go try to save Katya.
1: Right. She's just like, fuck it, we'll do it live, and I'll do it by myself. But also, it's too dangerous? Question mark? Nah. I... I that doesn't track at all. Uh, I guess we can talk about this at the end, but that's dumb. <laughs>
0: Back on the boat, Coltier and her monkey go to visit the witch, and at first she offers her help in exchange for information, and then she threatens her with a pair of pliers, and she rips out what she calls her cloud pipe, which is this little jagged implant in your shoulder that lets you do magic, and she rips it out, and it looks like it hurts.
1: Oh, it looks real bad. Uh, It it, it looks like she's ripping the life force out of her goddamn back. Like what the witches use to fly and do magic and be alive. And Miss Coltier is probably the most interesting character in the show for me. She has a respect, but also a genuine hatred for anything more powerful than her, which includes the witches. She's obsessed with the witches because they hold any amount of tangible power that she cannot. Although there are many theories online where Miss Coutier is also perhaps a witch because her demon can get farther away from her than most other demons in Lyra's world to their homeboys and girls. Also, she has the same amount of genuine respect slash fear of another force slash another person who is more powerful than her, and that's her daughter, who... She refused to leave this world because Lyra Silvertongue slash Lyra Belacqua is still here, still standing, still strong, and she wouldn't quote unquote abandon her. It was what she said to Lord Asriel as to why she didn't follow him on Rainbow Road, which is probably like a percentage amount true. Anyway, my point is she's complicated and it's fun to think
0: about. She continues to torture Katya for some amount of time and she wants to get info about the other worlds. And she also wants info on Lyra, who's at the center of some kind of witch prophecy. But Katya's not giving it up, and she's just getting tortured really badly. At the same time, the queen witch, who like went rogue, is like flying at the speed of sound to catch up to them. And she gets there just before Katya can spill Lyra's secret, and like I guess kills her, mercs her so that she can't give anything up. And yeah, then she just solos her way through the ship taking out all opposition and for good measure stabs the cardinal in the chest before leaving really to face this no stiff opposition i think she probably could have gotten katya out of there without much problem but uh, she estimated differently i i suppose right she
1: also didn't stab miss cultier the person who was previously torturing her friend which she knew she went into the room she went into slow-mo she could just like look around and catch a vibe she could have killed everyone on the ship It seems as though she could kill everyone in the world (laughs) in mere moments if she chose to. And I hope at some point they explain away this plot armor that is currently glaring because it was, again, one of the coolest parts of the episode. But, like, I was watching it through squinted eyes being like, okay,
0: well, okay, So sometime later, Father MacPhail, the important priest from season one, and Madame Coltier are, like, talking about the cardinal who's, like, seriously injured. And they're like, well, we might have to turn around and leave the North Pole to take care of this guy now, because he's in charge here, technically, and now he's wounded. And Coltier, very like Lady Macbeth, is like, why don't you just let him die and then seize power? And if anything goes bad, you can just blame it on me. I'll say that I tried to fix him up, but whoopsie, he died. And then you can be in charge of this operation, and you're a lot more competent than him, and it'll work out best for everyone.
1: And then Father McPhail is like, okay.
0: He's like, I don't want to, but yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely That sounds great.
0: So back in the A-plot, Will catches back up with Pan and Lyra, and he does eventually earn their trust by just kind of being open and being himself. And they come to an accord, and and as they're walking through the empty city, they come across some creepy little girls, and they have to catch them because they don't want to be, they don't want to see them at first. And the little girls warn them that like, once you grow up and turn into a boy, which is apparently something that happens in this world, specters are going to show up and tear your insides out and turn you into a zombie
1: so in will's world there are no demons it seems as though will's world is a lot like ours in lyra's world there are demons and
0: magic and dust
1: yeah it's like ours except for the fact that it's technologically stunted because the magisterium is in that world and has purposely stunted the world to keep the entire population of said world down and in this now third world Where we are in Chittagazi, the city at the moment the previous city in the sky. The city is like, has Mediterranean vibes to it. They're in Bravos, Right, exactly. But it has obvious faults like medicine is not as advanced plus transportation is not as advanced. And as you said, there are no adults around and we meet these two little girls, Paola and Angelica. Paola is played by Ella Cetri Yeats, which she has never been in anything else before. And sadly, who cares? Because Angelica is goddamn Liana Mormon. And the last time on HBO she was seen, she was murdering a giant with a fucking axe and then getting absolutely squished. So, Paola, great. You're great. You're here. But uh, the other one is literally a Mormon. Your dad, not dad. Is is
0: another part of the show.
1: Yeah. Your grandfather is in another part.
0: (laughs) And I saw her come on screen. I was like, you shut up. Oh, everybody shut up. The little girls leave. They want to be alone. And then later on, Will cooks food for Lyra. And he says like, well, you know, maybe we should stick together because we're both kind of new here. And Lyra totally agrees to this immediately. She's like, great. And I'm going to stay with you in this house. And I'm going to take this bed that you preferred. Now it's mine.
1: We're laying out the characters and how they relate to each other. Lyra is bullheaded and intense while Will is reserved and polite, and how will those two personalities get along? Throughout all of this also, it is explained to Will what a demon is, because he doesn't have one, and he's like, I don't know if you're weird for having one, or I'm weird for not having one. They also both figure out that they're both from Oxford, but there are two different Oxfords, and the way that it was written by Jack Thorne, where Lyra and Will were explaining the two different worlds to each other i think was just really well done it could have very easily been cringe but it wasn't they did a good job
0: lyra also like is still refusing to consult the golden compass anymore because she blames it for the bad things that happened to her in season one even though pan is saying like well i mean it it just told us what you asked it and and the answers that we got led to bad stuff but that's not necessarily the compass's fault
1: Mm, yeah but it didn't tell me roger was gonna goddamn die So F the Golden Compass.
0: The next day, she and Will explore the center of town. There's a large tower over there. They find a dude who's like all zombified out, but he doesn't seem to be a threat to anyone. He's just kind of like, you know, not all there. He's trying to fill up a cup with water and he's been filling it up for like 20 minutes. (laughs)
1: yeah and they're like okay go that way and they just like send the zombie on his way he was a lot like billy was the child who was
0: separated from
1: his demon in season one just a zombie person
0: at one point will snaps a picture of the tower with his smartphone and i'm like dude your smartphone is still charged after three days here on a good day my phone can last like eight or nine hours without being charged
1: right but he doesn't even look at the photo he just puts it in his pocket at which point i was like all right well He's going to look at that photo at some point, right? And be like, there's
0: something in it. He doesn't.
1: <laughs> he he uh, Next episode, James, maybe. But the tower the, is weird. The point is tower is weird.
0: They also find the two little girls with a crowd of other creepy little girls who are for no reason, like, attacking Will's cat, which he has now found in the other world. Yeah.
1: Yeah. so you said in the first season episodes that we did that perhaps Mm -hmm. will's cat was his demon in disguise Mm -hmm. this would probably add to that theory
0: right well do you do you actually know the answer to that question and you're just playing coy
1: no i mean in the books his demon is invisible no don't stop (laughs) oh Sorry, okay.
0: (laughs) Later that night, as Ryan said, they realize they're both from parallel Oxfords, and so Lyra wants to visit his to see what she can learn about Dust. He doesn't really want to go back because of the guy he murdered and probably the cops are looking for him, but you know, she begs him, and eventually he relents, and, and they decide to go tomorrow. Yeah, it happened pretty quickly. It felt like it was, I
1: think, the only part of the episode that it felt a little bit rushed, where he was just like, I mean, I also live in an Oxford... And my world is different. And she was like, that's perfect. Let's go
0: there. Or I can learn about dust. It's like, well, I don't think any of the Oxford professors are going to have anything useful to tell you. Whatever, about. Will,
1: shut up. <laughs> Let's go there now.
0: <laughs> that night. And this was the best because Pan was a red panda. And they're very cute. And I oh like that. God. That was a so good part.
1: Goddamn cute.
0: lyra reopens the golden compass and she asks it about will and it says that one he's a murderer but two he's a good guy
1: oh thank god (laughs) yeah he's a murderer but the good kind and i was like i mean he is kind of a good guy he did accidentally he did a murder
0: he did one murder
1: he did one like kids do hits He did murders
0: (laughs) and also he is mystically connected to this city. Somehow the golden compass tells her that's
1: weird. Probably find out more more about that later.
0: And then the episode ends with will alone approaching that large tower from earlier. And then there's like uh, some kind of the smoke monster from lost is behind him. We assume this is the specter the kids talked about.
1: Yeah. The kids pointed out earlier in the episode that will was very close to reaching the certain age Of puberty, where he goes from child to man. In Lyra's world, his demon would have stopped changing based on his emotion and just been and changed to one specific physical manifestation for the rest of his life, indicating that he is now an adult and the dust has settled on him. In this world, a very similar thing happens. Where you get goddamn zombified by a goddamn specter.
0: So I liked this episode a lot. I like that this show, like parts of it are, are as you mentioned, happen quite quickly. Other parts of it are quite contemplative. There's a lot of good character moments. They give time for, for Will and, and Lyra to just kind of be themselves and, and be likable. Which is good, because you know a, a lot of shows like don't spend any time making you care about the characters, and then when bad stuff happens to them, you're like, whatever, or you laugh. Yeah, why would I even care?
1: I spent five <laughs> seconds with this person, and now they're dead, and you—you very obviously were hoping you'd get an emotional response from me, and I'm just like, whatever. Problem here, I think, will be that this is going to be seven episodes this season. We have six episodes left. It was going to be eight, but COVID murdered a Asriel origin story. That didn't happen because it was going to be in March and James McAvoy was going to shoot it then, but then they just didn't get the chance. So James McAvoy slash Lord Azriel had one day of shooting in this entire season. He might not even be in right. any how much? Episodes.
0: How much? How much do you think he cashed in on that one day of shooting? James I mean, McAvoy, I think he ran
1: to the bank full speed, <laughs> <laughs> like, like, hoping for the best. So I th- just hope that the f- same thing doesn't happen in season two that happened in season one where Mm -hmm. this exact situation occurred, where there were A plots and B plots that they really took their time on. They meandered through them. They let the audience grow to know these characters and love them and understand a very complicated world so that when things happened at the end of the season that you were invested. The problem was they gave you eight episodes in the first season and not 10 the way that HBO usually would with other shows. I mean lost back in the day was 24 episodes which was arguably too many but i'm saying like they're giving less and less time for bigger and bigger stories and in the first season that came home to roost because the last episode you were like oh my god we're going at light speed now to get to the end of this season and end the book and i just hope that they take care of the middle part of this season two a bit more than they did season one like Pick and choose. If you need to go faster sometimes so that we don't get to a finale that is going at a million miles an hour, please, for the
0: love of God, do that. I think they're making a smart choice here where they, they they devote most of the time to the Lyra plot, which is, I think, what people are here for. And, and they give just as much as is necessary to the bad guys and to whatever Alexander Hamilton is doing. Well, you had said that the ratings were bad. And it seems like they weren't good in America, but they held on to their 5 million viewers when it aired first on the BBC.
1: Yes, they lost, I think, like point. Zero three or something like that 0.05 in britain from the season one finale which is good but usually you pick people up on the next season's premiere which they didn't and then you know america's ratings were goddamn awful but what do you expect which which
0: just bodes poorly for us as well
1: Yeah, I know, but you put it up against Monday Night Football. I mean, what do you, what, yeah. do, uh, what what do you, what do you assume is going to happen?
0: And 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 you know, join us next week for Ryan and I our our recap of Monday Night Football.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's just we're gonna watch <laughs> it live and scream. I, I know it's happened. I have five fantasy football leagues. I am following this very closely. It is my entire life. But I will say, all of this really doesn't matter. They're going to make three seasons, one season per book. HBO knew that from the very beginning, and it doesn't matter if zero people watch it at this point. I think HBO is just going to double down and be like, no, F that, three seasons, dun, dun, dun which is just a bummer because it originally was pitched to HBO as five seasons.
0: Yeah. Well, it's a BBC HBO co-production and it, you know it seems obviously they're they're pulling in five times as many viewers in the UK. I mean, which gives me hope that like the show won't be canceled or whatever since it, I guess it's primarily made for a UK audience. Um
1: Right. I mean, the Golden Compass trilogy is like ingrained in british culture right it's it's fucking big time stuff to them
0: and i just want to say like in this episode all throughout season one but then like i don't know i I felt like she got even better in this in this premiere daphne keen as lyra is so good she's actually she she's like 15 in real life but i feel like the character she's playing like i I buy that as like a ten or eleven year old she does a right. really good job
1: she really does, and they need to start this season three <laughs> shooting very soon. <laughs> she's gonna grow up
0: soon, yeah,
1: <laughs> I mean it's I, gonna be I, harder I for watched, her to play
0: twelve when she's twenty.
1: I just watched an interview that she did for season two of his dark materials, and I was like,
0: Oh no.' that's an adult (laughs) (laughs) that's no longer uh, the main character of a YA series okay so this episode two is already out (laughs) if you want to go watch it on the BBC streaming service or whatever but it'll be on HBO Monday night you said it's coming out on Mondays yep Monday night at 9 p.m Eastern okay and it's called The Cave and the description's already online I'm not gonna read it but also directed by Jamie Childs and not solo written by Jack Thorne. Now, now Jack Thorne and Francesca Gardner, who is new to the show. I think there's a Game of Thrones episode also called The Cave, and I I think they'll be different.
1: I think it's a reference to Plato's Cave, because dust slash the manifestation of consciousness, I think is really easily compared to the shadows on the wall in the cave, right? Mm -hmm.
0: Right. I'm sure we'll get we'll dive into that one next time. Yeah, everybody, thank you for listening. If you're just listening, it means a lot. If you want to support the show in other ways, you can follow us on Twitter. He's at WestworldRyan. I'm at James Watches Men. That is not a perverted thing. I'm a fan of the HBO show Watchmen. I made that account when that show was out. Didn't think about how it would play in the long term.
1: <laughs> I would like you to stop explaining <laughs> this. I think you just own it, James.
0: Watches, men. You can also give us a nice review on whatever podcast app you're listening to this on, and you could spread the show around by word of mouth. That's how we get by. Also, you could underwrite the show financially, patreon.com slash Boys. bonus episodes and content as well as live chat with Ryan and I and the other patrons who are great guys and girls. And Ryan will shout out your name at the end of each episode, like he's going to do. As soon as I finish this sentence, he's primed. He's ready to do it. He's waiting for me to stop talking so that he can do it. I am going to stop talking soon and give him a chance to do that right after I say this, which is that I'm really looking forward to, to releasing the next Call of Cthulhu episode, which comes out soon
1: god damn that was a long sentence i can't believe i didn't fall asleep during that sentence <laughs> but i also am very much looking forward to the episode two of call to cthulhu we already recorded it it was a whole lot of fun and i can't wait for that shit to come out our patrons, by the way, are Jamie, Anthony Wells, Hardboiled Greg, Nicole, Day11 Podcast, James Watch My Dong, Cliff Wilding, Hatheism hey is Unstoppable, Chris Wood, Brent Ginn, Day11 Westworld, Craig, Vakaman, John Jerz, Major Woody, and Carol N. Breyes. Thank you for the money.
0: Mm, not your not your best work reading the names this time, Ryan. Not to get too critical, but...
1: Oh, I'm gonna cut out you saying that, and when <laughs> I edit it together, it's gonna be dope.
0: So yeah, join us here next week. We'll have our episode two recap and review. I think it's also probably time for bonus content for patrons. We'll see if we can throw something together. Maybe call Cthulhu, see how that works.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, it might happen. <laughs> okay, bye! Bye. <laughs>